0: In March 2020, there was an excuse for having less than perfect protocols for how your employees work from home. It's 2021. So it's time to get remote working standards up to date.
1: Hello, and welcome to Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's business success series. This podcast was created by seasoned compliance experts at affiliated monitors who will provide their observations on industry trends geared to raise your awareness and to protect your brand. So grab a cup of coffee and join us as we guide you to integrity through compliance.
2: Well, hello everyone. I am Dion Lomax. I am the Managing Director of Antitrust and Trade Regulation at Affiliated Monitors Inc. And it is my pleasure to welcome everyone here today for our podcast featuring Kelly Graf, who is a Senior Managing Associate and a member of Denton's Litigation and Dispute Resolution Practice. Kelly defends companies and consumer class actions. Complex litigation and related regulatory actions. She has consistently achieved successful results for clients in high stakes disputes in a variety of fields, including insurance and financial services industries. She has extensive experience in life and disability insurance litigation. Her practice includes defense of bad faith claims, consumer claims regarding loss of insurance, sales practices and cost of insurance and agent misconduct claims. If that's not enough, she is also experienced in white collar litigation on a variety of topics, ranging from securities fraud to environmental violations. She leverages that experience in civil cases where there may be criminal or regulatory implications And if that's not enough, she's also an expert in privacy and cybersecurity issues, which is why she has agreed to join our podcast today. So Kelly, welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. What a great intro. I love it.
2: Well, this is great, too, because we were connected by a former colleague of mine, and it turns out that Kelly and I have actually worked at the same law firm at different times. Well, we overlapped for a little bit at Mince Levin, and so it's just been a pleasure to get to know her and to see just how small the world is.
0: <laughs> yeah, who knew? Uh, you know, I would move to Los Angeles and meet somebody back on the other side of the country <laughs> who was at Mince Levin at the same time. And we can chat about all our overlapping contacts.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about privacy. We hear about privacy and cybersecurity all the time, and especially lately when you hear about security breaches and these types of things. But for those of us who may not have much familiarity with privacy and security issues from a legal standpoint, can you give us the layman's definition of what privacy law entails?
0: It's a huge topic, I can try. It makes sense that this is such a huge topic, right? Because privacy touches so many aspects of our lives. We generate, store, use uh, information every moment of every day, it seems, both in our personal lives and in our work lives. So laws applying to privacy can concern any type of entity. You know, you think of you personally private companies, the government, or, you know, they can be super targeted as to the type of information. Health information is a very classic example of what people think of as private. But, you know, there's also you got educational information or information um, relating to your finances. Uh, so it's a huge topic. My definition and my understanding of it comes from the fact that I'm a litigator. So if I'm involved, unfortunately, something has probably gone wrong and a company is <laughs> getting sued. I do try to also help clients mitigate risk on the front end, There is a lot you can do, and there's also some unpredictability that comes with, you know, litigation risk, especially if you're a company with a lot of consumer traffic on your website, you know, where you're handling a lot of really sensitive information. You know, privacy is a really hot topic, as you say, and uh, plaintiff's lawyers, this is this is what they do, this is how they make their money, is come up with new and creative ideas for suing companies and class actions.
2: Like the Target situation, for example. That hit, we all got noticed, if we shopped at Target and used our cards. So what you're saying is, then these private class actions would come in and sue them for violating privacy laws, basically.
0: They can, yeah. There are a lot of laws that get violated with a data breach. There are a lot of state privacy laws that concern data breaches, although one really great way to mitigate risk when it comes to state privacy laws and data breaches is, for example, the California new privacy law only gives you a private cause of action or it gives plaintiffs a private cause of action against a company if the data that's been breached was not encrypted. So if you encrypt your data uh, and have a breach, unfortunately, you've really mitigated a lot of your risk on the back end because there's still reputational harm, there are business risks that you're facing, but as far as having some class action plaintiff's lawyers come after you, you're you're a little more buttoned up.
2: What kind of trends are you seeing in terms of cyber attacks generally? Are they focused on particular industries? Are they targeting certain geographic regions?
0: You know, this probably isn't going to surprise you, uh, but cyber attacks, cyber crime, it's on the rise because it's lucrative. It makes people money. I've seen estimates from companies saying that it costs literally trillions of dollars a year. I read a statistic that in 2015, cyber security attacks cost companies something like $3 trillion, and they're expected to cost $10 trillion in 2025, just exploding in economic cost for businesses. And, you know, it's not just creating potential liability. And, you know, that number is bigger. It's long-term costs in the form of lost data. You know, data has value. Your business being disrupted, you're doing... What your business does, and suddenly you lose a week of productivity because of a ransomware attack. You know, you have system downtime if you need to upgrade your systems, or you know, if you're a victim of a a ransomware attack, costs of notifying people that their information has been breached is significant, and then you have ongoing harm to the brand's reputation. You know, you mentioned Target. Everybody remembers Target's <laughs> data breach. Yeah, you know, I love Target, and but and I'm still never going to forget about that happening. You know, now it's like associated with the
2: brand, which is, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're right. So, you know, you asked about
0: particular industries or geographies. It's so ubiquitous and the trends are more that perhaps larger businesses are now being targeted, whereas before ransomware and phishing attacks were more targeted to small and mid-sized businesses. You know, I think ransomware in coming into 2021 is the most common form of cyber attack. Europol, the EU's uh, law enforcement agency, uh, has said that they regard it as the most prominent cyber crime threat. The reason is because they make money, (laughs) Um, you know, they're they're targeting larger and larger businesses that can pay bigger ransoms. Five years ago, you'd have a ransom that was $20,000. Whereas last summer, I read about a company paying a $10 million ransomware demand.
2: Is there something to be said about, you know how in other contexts you're like, it's like we don't pay for kidnapping, or we're never going to pay. You know, you're not. Gonna yeah, pay. it's like <laughs> negotiating <laughs> with terrorists. Exactly. Oh, that's it. Negotiating with terrorists. So, is there something to be said for businesses just not paying to get their data back, or does does that sound crazy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Other businesses have cropped up related to ransomware attacks, including um, insurance companies providing products um, for cyber insurance, where if you have a ransomware attack, it can be paid through your insurance, through your cyber insurance. And on the one hand, that's great for companies because, you know, now you you can get your data back quickly. But you have to ask, is this encouraging more ransomware <laughs> attacks? Right. Um,
2: because they're going to do it as long as they know somebody's going to pay, Right.
0: Totally. And, you know, I saw a report, I think it's a few years old now, maybe from 2019, about cyber insurance, saying that insurers paid out $1.8 trillion in covered cyber risks. That's just the part that's covered by insurance that they're paying for. But you're creating a market for these bad actors to create problems. (laughs) You know, whenever there's money, you're going to have folks trying to get that money. And in this case, it's through some really uh, terrible means.
2: Let me ask something related to what we're all still going through, and that's COVID, right? How, if at all, has COVID impacted data privacy and security issues for companies?
0: (laughs) COVID has been such a huge driver of uh, cybersecurity risks and in a lot of ways exposed vulnerabilities that we already had. Basically, cyber criminals and folks who are trying to get that ransom money, um, among other (laughs) things, are taking advantage of the fact that, you know, we all started working from home without the proper preparedness. We didn't have the right software, the right hardware for working from home in a secure way. The security standards that might have been really tight had to be lower. They just, you, you had to, to be able to continue to function. So that puts security of these com- companies under new levels of stress. And I think one other aspect of the pandemic that has been interesting from a, a cybersecurity perspective is that it really highlights the human element of security. You know, you think about, well, I used to at least think about a person in a dark room, you know, hacking away at some company's systems and then, you know, suddenly yelling, I'm in.
2: That's what you see in on tv all the time so i think that's how i
0: thought about it as well totally it's very cinematic what's not cinematic is the fact that you know something like 80 or 90 percent of breaches of data security at companies comes from just phishing attacks or social engineering attacks so it's a human error it's you know human vulnerabilities and i think the pandemic put that into a spotlight because you're more vulnerable when you're under stress. You know, you're more likely to make a mistake. And, you know, it's just, it's not the Nigerian prince who's emailing full of typos saying that you have a, an inheritance. It's, you know, it's not that jokey situation anymore. The reality is that these are super sophisticated players who, you know, know how to exploit human psychology. Imagine the first month of the pandemic when you're working from home, you're scared, maybe, Uh, you know, you're scared you're going to get sick, you're worried your family's going to get sick, you know, high stress, you know, you've seen news about layoffs, so you could be worried about your job. And then you get an email from, your boss first thing in the morning before you've had your coffee and, you know, it looks like your boss is asking you to send her some information. You know, maybe it looks a little off or there's something not quite right about it, but it's you know, if you're stressed out, you're vulnerable, people will ignore red flags and try to be helpful. It's also, you know, very human nature that people want to help. (laughs) Right,
2: it's so true, Totally, you know,
0: so you get that email off and, you know, you just sent private data to a
2: scammer. Well, you know, it's it's so funny because, you know, I'm real sensitive to it now, too. I, I know that our IT person at AMI sent an email basically a survey of employees to ask us our thoughts about how comfortable we feel about coming back into the office and when and under what circumstances. And it wanted me to click on a survey monkey link. And I was so paranoid. I was like, wait a minute, let me check. I emailed him separately. (laughs) And he's like, yes, Dion, it's real. You can click on it. (laughs) But you know, I didn't know, right? And I don't know how to tell the difference between something that's legit and not legit, so.
0: Yeah, and it's it's always better to be cautious and, you know, email and just make sure that something is legit and confirm. (laughs) But, you know, that's also because you're empowered with a lot of knowledge about how sophisticated some of these scams can be, whereas a lot of day-to-day employees, especially this time last year, didn't have that background knowledge of what to be you know, looking out for and what to be suspicious of.
2: So now we are four months into a new administration and I'm I'm imagining some of our listeners are wondering, hey, well, what can we expect regarding data privacy from a regulatory perspective in light of the new administration? Do you have any thoughts in that area?
0: I think going forward um, from a regulatory perspective, we're going to be seeing a lot more enforcement actions from the FTC on um, a statute. It's called the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. A mouthful. I'll just, I'll call it COPA. <laughs> Um, okay. It's easier. But, you know, essentially COPA applies to online collection of data for children under the age of 13. And it's, it's one of those very uncontroversial data privacy statutes where I think, you know, we can all agree that that type of data for, for our children is very concerning and we want. A lot of, of regulation in that space. You know, and it also includes children from outside of the US, which is interesting. Um oh, wow. if it's a US company or you know, US-based company, these privacy terms apply. It doesn't matter where the kids are. And it requires verifiable consent from parents regarding collection of data. There are also some amendments that have been proposed to that statute uh, that would prohibit advertising to children directly using apps. So the important thing about COPA is that the FTC is the enforcement arm for that statute. There isn't a private right of action. So the FTC is basically all we've got. And they've signaled that they are getting serious about violations of these statutes. Um, We've seen some really big penalties in the past few years that we're expecting are just Going to be continuing. There are going to be more um, enforcement actions, particularly because prior enforcement actions have been successful. I'm trying to think of the one of the more recent large penalties. There was a four million dollar penalty against a mobile game developer um, for this really cute animal themed game called um, Bunny Bun and Klepto Cats. But <laughs> Bunny Bun and Techno Cat klepto
2: cats klepto.
0: <laughs> yeah and klepto cats too I think
2: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun and that sounds
0: fun <laughs> it sounds like a really fun game um, but you know the FTC claimed that the developer of these games was allowing advertisers to collect children's personal information using the apps and you know obviously while klepto cats and bunny bun sound super fun (laughs) to me um they are clearly targeted towards children and young children at that um so you know ultimately they were able to saddle for four million dollars um and uh i think there may have been additional uh negotiation and it may may have ended up being less. So, so Kelly, as
2: we look forward into 2021, right, what are some of the key privacy considerations that you think companies need to be aware of? And in in particular, what are some practical tips for companies?
0: Uh, Well, on the side of protecting company data or customer data if your company is entrusted with that. Um, Really being aware of that human element that we were talking about before. Get your company employees trained to empower them with the knowledge and understanding of how these types of attacks work. That's really your best defense to a lot of these security attacks you know ultimately there's only so much you can do because people are individuals and people make mistakes but if you get really good training on that um, that can really button up a lot of security issues also getting remote working standards up to date in March 2020 there was an excuse for having less than perfect protocols for how your employees work from home. It's 2021, so it's time to get people trained, make sure they have the right hardware and software, make sure you have adequate network segmentation. Um, network segmentation is where you have both personal networks and business networks being used on the same computer and you're you have to make sure that the business portion is completely separate from the personal portion. You can do that, you know, most people use VPNs, but just making sure that business data is kept in control of the business and personal data is kept separate is a, a huge way to mitigate risk in that way. And, you know, on the litigation side, I think, you know, going forward, we're going to continue to see class actions related to privacy and creative ones at that. In the past year or two, we've seen a lot of class actions concerning the Federal Wiretap Act and the California Invasion of Privacy Act; uh, those are two really old statutes. They're they're definitely older than than I am, and you know they're concerned with telephone eavesdropping. But you know, in 2020, the plaintiffs are using these broadly worded statutes for new causes of action related to how companies are using data online, like with plugins or cookies or click monitoring technologies. So if your organization is using some of these technologies, it can be worth a look from you know your inside counsel or outside counsel to see how the use of those technologies is communicated to consumers if there's a way to communicate it differently that would mitigate some some risk if a creative plaintiff's lawyer came across your website and and decided to uh, bring a claim
2: okay well well kelly this is all so fascinating and i really want to thank you for taking some time out of what I am sure is a very busy day to share some of your expertise with us in the area of privacy and cybersecurity. Thank you once again, and and have a great day. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for joining Affiliated Monitor's podcast, Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's business success series. Today's segment is just a sample of the subject matter expertise captured by AMI's compliance professionals. Go to our website at www.affiliatedmonitors.com to view the comprehensive list of industry and in-house talent AMI has available to enhance professional and business integrity programs and controls. Also connect with us on LinkedIn to receive updates and trends in the areas of enforcement and compliance. If you have any questions about today's podcast or would like to learn more, please contact us at podcast at affiliatedmonitors.com. Our Affiliated Monitor's podcast production team of Dolores Syed, our compliance associate, and Dan Barton, our editor and podcast music composer, look forward to you joining us again for our next installment of Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's business success series.